Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup. This is episode 13. Now every Monday we round up the week's most important technology, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andile Masugu, broadcaster and entrepreneur. And with me as always is tech entrepreneur and executive editor of iAfrican.com, Defo Mojave. How's it, bro? I'm good, I'm good. And thanks to all our listeners. We're still rocking our tunes. We're still on New York Noteworthy. Not only on the technology page, but on all categories. So thank you very much, guys. Awesomeness, man. You need to tell us a little bit about uh, your interactions over at Facebook. With Facebook Africa being launched officially, finally, you've had a chance to hang around some of the executives and hear what they have in mind. Yeah, it was very interesting. Uh, day one of their office in Africa, which was opened in Johannesburg, was on Wednesday. So that's where they'll be running their African operations from. They didn't let us in if they will be opening any offices into the rest of the continent. They say that they'll be focusing to quote Nicola Mendelssohn, who's the VP for EMEA. She said that they'll be focusing solely for now, trying to get operations up and running in South Africa and talking to brands and small businesses to show them the advantages of using Facebook as a marketing and advertising platform. Yeah, a little frustration from the, the journalist fraternity who thought they'd be getting a little more detail than they did. Yeah, well, it was a very, I wouldn't say staged, but they, they knew what they wanted to get out of it. So they permitted very few Q&As, but it was all good. We've got contact with them anyway. They, they're here for the long haul, so we'll be keeping a close eye on development, certainly. What a show we have today, though. A killer scoop. Yeah, big news. I mean, coming out of East Africa, the big scoop exclusive to African Tech Roundup is that Nest, a Hong Kong-based accelerator and seed fund, is going to be coming to Nairobi, Kenya to start an accelerator and fund some tech startups. Oh, snap. This is huge. So listen, we're going to be talking a little more about that towards the end of our new segment. And we're going to use this as inspiration to have a little discussion about where venture capital activities are right here on the continent. And if this is the first time you're joining us, do yourself a favor and head on to uh, africantechroundup.com to catch up on some great stuff from our past episodes. But not only that, do yourself a bigger favor by signing up for our weekly newsletter while you're at it to get the podcast sent straight to your inbox every Monday morning. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at African Roundup. Give us a shout and tell us what you think of the show. We'd love to hear from you. And like I said, the discussion segment this week is inspired by the incredible scoop we're packing. So exciting news, man. Stick around. This week's African Tech Roundup is supported by Lean Startup Machine Joburg, aka Lean Joburg. Lean Startup Machine is a three-day workshop on building a successful business. You see, most new ventures fail because they build something no one wants. At Lean Joburg, you'll learn a process for discovering which products will succeed in the marketplace and which won't. My experience at Lean Joburg taught me to stop overthinking and just do it. Um, I've always been interested in getting into business, but I had no clue how to get started. So this was an opportunity for me to just get over my fears and talk to complete strangers about my ideas and it's honestly the most <laughs> exciting thing I've ever done. It's an immersive 48-hour educational experience, not a talk shop, not a conference and definitely not a hackathon. To book your spot at the next Lean Joburg starting on Friday, July 31st at Josie Hub, visit bit.ly forward slash Lean Josie or find them on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Lean Joburg and on Twitter at Lean Joburg. Many thanks to Balungi Lembenyane for that review.
Now remember, if you'd like your audio comments included in a future episode of the African Tech Roundup, drop us a line on Twitter using the hashtag ATRUcomment, and our team will make contact with you so that you can be part of the show. And now it's news time. Now if you choose to name your tech company Hacking Team, what could be more embarrassing than being hacked? This is very embarrassing. I mean, this company counts among its clients very top countries, including some African countries like Morocco, Sudan, and Ethiopia, and they were hacked. Can't believe this. I mean, some of their clients in the U.S. include the the Drug Enforcement Agency and the FBI. Now, apparently, some unnamed hacker who claimed to be the same person who basically broke into hacking team's competitor, Finn Fisher, last year, hijacked its Twitter account and posted links to 400 gigs worth of data. Internal data at hacking team, which is customer data, which is all the backdoors that hacking team has built for countries and for some of their top clients, actually for all their clients. Even more worrying is that this data wasn't even encrypted. So passports, backdoors, source code, all unencrypted. Adding to that, if you have the time and if you have that 400 gigs of data, you could map literally some spyware or backdoor to a specific client so that you know who requested that from hacking team. I think it's incredible that a spyware company like these guys wouldn't encrypt their data and what, hosted on the cloud? Well, I guess I'm sure they put in some mechanisms in terms of perimeter security or network security and they just thought that nobody would breach those and get into their network. But still, it sounds a bit amateurish, but I'd like to know more about it. I also think this is more a cyber war thing than just some random teenager who hacked them. So someone who probably has espionage interests, like from a country that has beef with some of their clients, maybe? My first suspicion would be that. uh, Going onto Twitter and making it sound like it's a teenager and posting all those links... I think it's a byproduct or it's a it's a distraction. The real thing that happened and we need to focus on is that they were hacked and the data was hacked. So that's a very professional job, whoever did it. And they had to tell all their clients to basically stop using all their software. It was just ridiculous. Well, basically they told their clients to stop hacking <laughs> with the people they're surveilling. Stop listening to your enemy's conversation. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's fascinating. Right, to Kenya now, where it sounds like someone there heard you call for governments to be more involved in regulating public access to the internet last week, therefore. Kenya's director general of the communications authority, Francis Wangusi, has proposed the adoption of some drastic measures. What they're doing, I mean, is they're trying to literally they're going the route that the South African Film and Publications Board are going. They're saying people must come with their national ID documents and when they go onto any Wi-Fi, public Wi-Fi facility, they need to present their national ID, get registered together with their phone numbers. That to me sounds like somebody who wants to come back if should somebody say something bad about them and be able to track it back to that person. How they justify it, just like the Film and Publications Board in South Africa, is that they're trying to curb criminal activity. Well, and here's the thing as well. I mean, if you're hosting someone who's accessing the web, so via your your Wi-Fi uh, hotspots, uh, say you're a restaurant, a school, or anything like that, they're holding you accountable for people in your vicinity or who are using, uh, basically accessing the web via your facility. I wonder how they're going to do it with uh, internet.org. Are they going to ask Facebook to take care of that, to ask people to come with their IDs when they log on to free Wi-Fi on their mobile phones? I mean, I think African governments and most governments must just stop with this thing of trying to regulate the internet. You're fighting literally 
literally against the tsunami of a wave, you are never going to regulate the internet. Let the information be free. I'm going to share a quote uh, made by Wangusi, and this is in response to some of the criticisms his pronouncements have, have, have garnered in his country so far. He says, quote, We are considering the idea of ensuring the public Wi-Fi is not accessed without a login. The logging in of the public domain will require one's passport number, ID, number or telephone number, he says. The unique number of a device is identified on the internet, but we can't identify who is owning it. If you don't use the right identification numbers, that's why we insist on logging in the public Wi-Fi with personal credentials. This will help us in securing the cyberspace in case of cyber crimes. Okay, so I, I'm not quite sure where in that statement he's defending his position because he's basically validating the concerns everyone's raised. Aren't the police there to arrest criminals, including cyber crimes? So why are they trying... Again, this is uh, we need to cut through all the nonsense. This is just pure censorship and trying to scare people, especially in Kenya. I mean, there's been lots of uh, bloggers and journalists who've been attacked by government agencies and by police for saying certain things on social media, for posting certain articles on the web. So this, to me, seems like a further step to ensure that uh, they don't do that. And Kenya is famous for its Twitter community, which are uh, very active, highly uh, politicized in some in some respects, and uh, they'll be looking at these sort of pronouncements with some interest. Yes, I mean, they call the, the, the hashtag is hashtag KOT, Kenyans on Twitter. They're very active on especially political matters as you say so we'd like to get your feedback KOT. Now how about this Uber maintains that its progress to conquer Africa is well on track they're calling the issues they've experienced recently in various countries minor hiccups. Really? Those are not minor hiccups. Your driver's getting stoned that's not minor. Ask that driver (laughs) (laughs) Okay let's let's count down here like Kenya basically giving them trouble. Uh, South Africa only recently the Western Cape which is a major market for them within, within South Africa Cape Town only recently allowing Uber drivers the permits to actually run taxi services. Johannesburg, taxi industry up in arms. I'm I'm trying to think of one place on the continent where it's working well. Nigeria. And I wonder why. Maybe the other cab companies are not working that well in that market. So in Nigeria, I haven't heard complaints of uh, any strikes, any attacks, and it seems like everybody's happy with Uber there. What's interesting to me is the struggles that uh, were very well documented struggles uh, Uber's experiencing in places like France and, and that kind of thing becoming a theme worldwide perhaps maybe this sort of super positive position they're taking at the moment might be a function of them just accepting that this is part of their sort of business model and this is just how they do business tons of hurdles they tend to overcome them they've got a track record of you know walking in not pleasing everybody but eventually getting it right so maybe that's what they're alluding to look their model works I'm a Uber customer I love their service and I think all clients who've used Uber love it but they need to sort out their issues they need to sort out issues in every country where it pops up their drivers don't either don't have permits or they never discussed that with their drivers or they never worked around the laws in specific countries around permits they also need to be cognizant of the fact that there are be breadwinners who depend on being meter cab drivers whose daily bread is literally being cannibalized by Uber yes we live in a what capitalist society and free markets but they need to accept that there's going to be some sort of retaliation and with their experience one would expect that going into new markets they'd find ways to make sure that doesn't happen again uh, well in fairness to them they can hardly automate the process there, there are no clear guidelines to obtaining 
vehicle operating permits in various countries. I mean, countries operate very differently. Very clever what they did uh, in the Western Cape and Cape Town, uh, uh, helping to start a petition to give their Uber drivers licenses. Over 15,000 signatures from, from people who obviously love Uber. And, and yeah, to your point, I mean, there's plenty of anecdotal evidence to support that people basically love this company and, and will basically support its existence anywhere in the world. On the issue of the petition and over 15,000 signatures in support of Uber drivers, that's all good and well. But I can bet you right now, if we drove to Cape Town or flew to Cape Town and went to Google it to Kayalicha and all those places and put out a petition form in support of taxi drivers and meter cab drivers, we'd get probably 10 times, if not 100 times more votes than those Uber drivers. So again, we need to look at both sides of the story. There is, yes, Uber is a good service. I'm a customer. I love it. On the other side, these guys do have a point. Their bread and butter is being cannibalized by Uber. So how do we solve this? And in places like South Africa, where the legacy of apartheid continues to haunt us, um, the taxi industry is definitely one of those industries that is um, that continues to sort of symbolically represent the upward mobility, or at least aspirationally, the upward mobility that the average black person in, in this country might not have enjoyed under the previous dispensation. That's true. That's true. So I think we need to look at both sides. Maybe the taxi industry in terms of uh, the guys who carry 10 people, 16 people in a taxi, that it's not affecting them yet. But the meter cab drivers are being affected and we need to, well, not me, but Uber and them need to find a way to solve it. Because yes, as it has, it has escalated to violence. It's not justifiable to act violently, but uh, yeah, emotions are high. Well, staying in South Africa now, where yet another high-profile procurement scandal is trending. Uh, this time it's over a train locomotive deal worth somewhere near 350 million US dollars. It's, it's crazy. They say that uh, their chief engineer has a PhD, but the rules in South Africa state that you need to be registered with the Council of Engineers, of Engineering, and this chief engineer for Prasa is not registered. Therefore, he's not considered an engineer in South Africa. Prasa is the Public Rail Association of South Africa, and it's worrying that a company, essentially a parastatal, would not consider it in the public interest to have someone who's suitably qualified making buying decisions, at least uh, decisions that would affect the lives of hundreds of thousands of commuters over many, many, many years. It's crazy. I mean, this this is not an issue only about South Africa. I was speaking to Peter Piele, who does a pro content production for us. He stated that he's an engineer himself. He says that this is about uh, engineering qualifications the world over, and each country has its councils where engineers need to be registered to be considered engineers. And in this case, he asked the question, uh, is Prasa being run by people who don't know what's going on, or does government apply different rules to its agencies and parastatals but something along the line is wrong because as you say Prasa transports the public and millions of people every day and it's very worrying what type of policies or checklists is this chief engineer who's not even accredited by the council checking are those locomotives including 4,000 diesel locomotives that were delivered to Prasa are they even worthy of being on our radar system well this all follows uh, an embarrassing situation where Prasa was being questioned about the suitability of these new locomotives for local conditions. <laughs> Some people suggesting that these locomotives wouldn't even fit through tunnels and things like that. Okay, that's being a little bit too simplistic. But yes, the concerns are noted. I mean, it's about engineering standards. And if he's not, if he hasn't gone through the council's uh, policies and being accredited by the council, how are we certain that his work is worthy of being of, of, uh, of an engineer in South Africa, of what's considered an engineer in South Africa? All I'm saying is, Africa, we can do better than this. It's embarrassing and it's not an African thing. We 
do have standards and it's just embarrassing. It's poor leadership, it's poor management and we can't make excuses about it. And now to Nigeria where a week after announcing that users of its platform in South Africa will soon be able to buy airtime and data with Bitcoin, Bitex has announced that they'll be launching NNG. That's good for Bitcoin again. But more importantly, and this is not only a thing for Bitex or for anyone, it's for startups that are building apps. More importantly is we're not hearing you guys telling us about how many customers you have, how many downloads you've got, how much revenue you're making. We only hear when you're launching. So yeah, get back to us and tell us how many how many customers you've got because that's bigger news and we'll definitely blow it up for you. I'm curious to hear from developers in, in places like Nigeria and you know right here in South Africa. How excited are you to basically harness uh, Bitex's API or platforms like Bitex using their API to develop your own products and services? Is it of any interest to you at all? At the moment, I wear my developer hat and say, I don't think Bitcoin has reached critical mass yet on the, in terms of people who have it and people who use it and the merchants who accept it. Thus, it's not attractive to many people. So until the big banks adopt uh, Bitcoin technology, until big merchants accept uh, Bitcoin payments and it's sort of weaved into everyday life, I don't see it. It's an exciting technology with great potential, but I don't see it uh, at the moment being uh, something to take note of. Well, Bitex has done its best to allay fears of those who are still quite, you know, might be cynical about uh, Bitcoin and, the, and blockchain. They've gone to lengths to let people know that um, they're focused on security and compliance and they're trying to know their customer. And I'll hold on a bit because if they're talking about protecting against money laundering, etc., then you're taking away a very key feature of Bitcoin, which is anonymity. Bitcoin provides you the ability to transact without uh, having to supply your ID or who you are. So the moment you say you take taking that away in the name of protecting against money laundering, then that's quite interesting. We'll have to see how you do that. Kind of defeats the purpose. And I mean, I suppose this is in the context of them trying to convert people from spending in Naira into Bitcoin as opposed to some other currency. What's the incentive then? I'm assuming most people trading in Bitcoin are enjoying the anonymity. Yeah, most people, not to say that they're buying weird and wonderful things, but it's about the flexibility of walking anywhere and buying and knowing that, again, information security and privacy, knowing that you're not being tracked, like your bank knows what you bought, track your location, etc., etc. It's about just removing a lot of the friction layers in transacting and you walk into anywhere, pay with Bitcoin and walk out. No ID, no card, no nothing. It almost sounds like they're treating the, the currency as any other currency, which sort of begs the question, why not spend in a currency that already exists? Yeah, we can just stop printing rands and nairas in physical paper and just make them electronic because that's what they're doing with Bitcoin. Well, if we're getting it wrong on some level of misunderstanding how your platform works, how it is you intend to add value to consumers in all the regions you are, come on, hit us up, Bitex, and any one of you platforms out there who, who can give us further insights into how your model works. And certainly, we are curious to know how well it's working. And now, our final story and the springboard for this week's discussion is our scoop of the week. Take it away, bruh. Big news. Hong Kong-based VC and accelerator Nest is coming to Nairobi and will be operating out of the Nairobi garage. Why is this big news? This is big news because a few weeks back, we had two funds or two seed funds 
that said that they don't see much future in investing in tech startups in Africa. Yep, we have 88 miles per hour who have said they won't be investing in African startups for at least two years. And then we've got Spark from Nigeria that basically trotted out some of its young ones to be shot in full view of the public. And of course, um, one of their co-founders, uh, Jason Njoku, basically saying that the startup scene in Africa is underdeveloped. Something to that effect, but mainly not ready yet for investment and not ready yet for the type of investments they're looking for. Then you get Nest, who are saying, we're going big in Africa. Not only are they going to Nairobi, they say, from the onset, they're also looking to launch in Cape Town. They're looking to launch in Johannesburg. Hi, guys. Thanks for having us on your awesome show. My name's Aaron, and I'm a partner at Nest. And we're just in the middle of setting up here in Nairobi uh, to be the latest addition to help boost Africa's startup ecosystem. We're bringing with us our experiences in investing in 49 different companies all throughout the world, including the US, Europe, as well as in Asia. We've also been very excited uh, at our opportunity to co-develop very successful startup accelerators with some of the world's leading brands. Um, that has been in the field of health tech, fintech, as well as the Internet of Things. So bringing in all of that experience together, um, we're about to set up shops here in Nairobi uh, to address the rest of Africa. Uh, we're very excited to speak to startups in this region and looking forward to bringing uh, our four key pillars of strategy, marketing, funding, as well as network. But what really makes us different from all the other venture funds out there? Um, I feel that you know, we take a lot more of an active stand uh, in the management of the startup that we do invest in. And what that means is that you know, whether that's financial management or dealing with legal issues or maybe even digital marketing, we will get our hands dirty with each of the startups that we invest in to make sure that they're pulled through their growth process. Um, but you know, beyond that, what makes us also very exciting is the fact that we're bringing you know, our global networks to play um, for all the startups here in Africa. Uh, we're bringing our global network of mentors, our global network of other founders uh, who are also operating in emerging markets who might have faced very similar challenges uh, to entrepreneurs in Africa. Uh, we also bring uh, our global networks when it comes to market access. Uh, I've looked around this continent and I've seen so many solutions, whether that be in education technology or whether that be something that's based off more money that really wouldn't look out of place uh, in any urban city in Asia. So we will be looking at helping these startups grow not just in Kenya, not just in Africa, um, but all across the world. So if you're listening and you're a startup with an amazing team and a brilliantly scalable idea, um, please do drop us a line or come visit us in Nairobi. Uh, we're sitting up in the Nairobi garage just above a fantastic microbrewery. Uh, so do give us a shout when you're around. Cheers, guys. This is incredible. I mean, uh, we've done a lot of reading on Nest and some of the work they've done abroad. They're essentially Hong Kong's equivalent to America's Y Combinator, the UK's, the UK's Tech Stars. What's interesting is they seem to have an excellent track record of not just picking winners, but being able to create a pathway to success. This is what we spoke about a few episodes back about uh, accelerators and seed funds needing to add more value, not just throwing money at, at startups, but coming with a process, a methodology, a system of trying to enable startups and helping them along the growth path and helping them see mistakes before they happen or as they happen quicker and help them pivot along the way if necessary. But this is, yeah, they've got a program that they have at, at Nest that they take.
take uh, startups through? They'll be based at Kenya's largest co-working space, Nairobi Garage, and uh, they'll be headed up by managing partner Aaron Fu. And he said, quote, Kenya is an exciting frontier market and Nest has the opportunity to be one of the first overseas organizations to make an impact and accelerate the growth of startups in Silicon Savannah. Momentum is already building a Nairobi startup and thriving technology community and Nest can add to this by providing startups with access to Asian capital, global mentors, and marketing opportunities. Now, one wonders why local accelerators and venture capitalists wouldn't be able to at least have a head start on what he's just described. It's very interesting, as you say. Uh, I mean, guys like 88MPH were in Kenya, were in Nairobi, and they shut down their office under the sentiments that uh, they didn't see any value in investing in uh, more uh, tech startups out of Kenya and then Nest comes and says that there is value in doing that and not only in Kenya but across the continent. You have Aaron Fu obviously who's been working as a regional digital strategy lead for Africa at Standard uh, Chartered Bank who'll be leading up the Nest team in Nairobi and you also have uh, Kenyan Muturi who'll be the community manager so they're, they're taking local knowledge they're very cognizant of local knowledge and incorporating it into their, into their system. Now if you're feeling a little left out Nigeria or Ghana have no fear uh, Nest definitely has its sights set on Lagos, Accra and like you mentioned Cape Town and Joburg as well you can be sure that they're rolling heavy because they're partnered with international brands including DBS Bank which is a leader in SME banking and private wealth services across Asia and the Middle East AIA uh, Asia's preeminent insurer they're definitely looking to build on the momentum Nest has built um, out of Hong Kong founded of course by Simon Squibb more importantly you need to tell us what you think do you believe as Nest are saying that there is great upside to investing in tech startups on the African continent. Are you on the team with uh, 88 MPH and Spark who've said that uh, there's not much value in the next 18 to 36 months so we'll sit back a little bit there's not that good value of startups coming out there who can give us the type of return we want. Which side are you on? And what about you startup founders who had basically given up hope of ever sourcing venture capital on the continent? Are you excited by this? Will you be knocking at Nest's door? And I'm also curious to know what is it beyond cash you would want from an accelerator a venture capitalist? What sort of experience would you need, want or require from someone who offered you the opportunity to grow your startup Drop us a line on Twitter at African Roundup. Use the hashtag ATRU to let us know what's on your mind. Also, if you are keen for a comment you've made to feature as an audio comment on a future show, please be sure to use the hashtag ATRU comment and our team will be on it like white on rice. In the meantime, though, a big thank you to Lean Startup Joburg for their support this week. Want to learn how to fail fast and succeed even faster? Join the movement. Book your spot at the next Lean Joburg starting on Friday, July 31st at Josie Hub. Visit bit.ly forward slash Lean Josie or find them on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Lean Joburg and on Twitter at Lean Joburg. Otherwise, that's it for now. Until next week, it's cheers from me, Andile Masugo. And me, and thank you once again for keeping us on top of the iTunes chats. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers, guys. <laughs> <laughs>